Hey everyone, welcome to Expansion Cast. Expansion Cast is a magical podcast I created so people could find simple or unconventional solutions to expand their personal awareness and experience. This podcast is dedicated towards revealing people's divine truth and how that divine truth works its way out into the world, one by one, helping liberate each of us on our personal path to freedom. If you love this podcast, please give us a rating and share. Hey everyone, welcome back to Expansion Cast. I'm your host, Roger Metz. Today, I have the wild pleasure of introducing one of the most incredible women I know. Her name is Ellis Hong. She leads transformational experiences around the world. She empowers people to dive deeper into self-love, self-pleasure, and self-expression. She helps others bring the unconscious into awareness. And ultimately, Alice shows others how to flow in truth, love, and freedom. Now, I've had the pleasure of meeting Alice quite a few times. And in my experience, I see a being who lives in an authentic state of grace. She calls herself a transformational warrioress and creatrix. Nowhere will you find any documentation on the internet with any sort of reference to calling or labeling herself a guru. But I tell you from my experience, Alice is a guru. What she offers in her trainings is a humble, open arms approach supported by radiant unconditional love and presence for those around her. And don't get me wrong when I say these beautiful things because Alice is also a fun person to be around. Please welcome Alice Hong. Alice, welcome to Expansion Cast. Thank you for having me, Roger. It's my pleasure, actually. I've been waiting a long time to talk to you. You're so, I know. Thank you're so you for busy. Patience and also your your gentle pokes. <laughs> <laughs> you're so busy. You have so much going on. Yeah, I do. So what's what's the biggest thing? I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, my women's work has just really been um, powerfully ignited. Um, these last years and especially these last months, I think it's just the, the timing on this planet that women are really yearning to find each other. And um, yeah, so Wild Women Gathering, we just announced it, the second one. Um, it's on February 23rd, but the first one sold out. It was like wildfire. You know, we had 200 women gathering in Calgary and 400 on the, on, or well, 200 on the wait list or something. So yeah, big. And then Untamed Wild Feminine is a really powerful process um, where the sisters gather and we come together in really naked, raw, vulnerable, tender ways, and also in really brave, courageous, adventurous, celebratory ways. Um, and that's a deep dive immersion that I, that I really love. It's big in my heart. So what is a wild woman? Can you tell me more? Mm. Yeah, I sit with this often, this question, and it's got, um, well, a wild woman's not definable. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> She's got, um, for me, a wild woman has 
many shades, you know, and, and lives the full range of what's alive for her mm-hmm. in the moment. So- and so whether that range is, you know, deep sadness, grief, pain, darkness, or on the other side of the spectrum, you know, bliss, radiance, joy, elation, and everything in between to really be able to, to be in the presence of that moment fully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in her body, you know, like in, in this beautiful body that we've been gifted, this very intelligent, wise body, and also connected to source. But a wild woman's different for everyone, of course, and there are as many kinds of wild women as there are women, humans so, on the planet. Is the, is the wildness, is it freedom? I feel so. I feel so. And that freedom, you know, for a long time, I, I equated freedom to being, um, meaning like, oh, I get to do what I want. You know, that was kind of my simplified thought mm-hmm. a while ago. But to me, it's not so much that anymore. It, freedom has more of this quality of, um, of being free within oneself, you know, like free of the, the, the cultural conditionings and the shoulds and, the, um, and really examining what life is for each one of us. And of course, I know that, you know, I'm a very privileged Western woman living in a country where I have the freedom to do this. So, um, you know, not every woman's definition of freedom might be this, um, although I do wish it for for all humans you know to have this level of inner freedom well outer freedom and inner freedom Mm -hmm. what's a wild woman to you Uh, a wild woman to me is a woman who can sit in her being in whatever that is just to be with herself and be comfortable with herself uh, moving forward in any way that She's inspired to move no matter who is around, no matter who's watching, viewing, uh, just a woman who can live in her truth, whatever that is. To me, that's wild. Mm -hmm. And if sometimes that truth means acting out or being just weird or, or doing things that might be unconventional for that individual to help that individual process some limitations that's that's beautiful and wild mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. silence can be wild mm-hmm. <laughs> so what do you think women have to overcome to be wild Well, I was just sitting with a brand new group of sisters for Untamed a few nights ago. And one of the big practices that we do that night is is about releasing shame and the places where we hide. Um, One of my, you know, most beloved sisters, Joni Tabiner, um, she says that shame needs silence to exist. And so when we 
feel ashamed about something like nobody else can know this or how terrible that I have done this or, um, you know, then, then we tuck it away. Women tuck it away in our, in our bodies and in our hearts, you know, and, and then there's something to hide. And when there's something to hide, you must put layers of protection around it. You know, veils, masks, defensive systems, um, limiting belief systems, you know, everything get, covers that piece up inside. And that takes a massive amount of energy to hide. Massive. Mm -hmm. You know, because now you've got something that's a secret and something that you seemingly have to protect or guard around. And the thing with, with shame is that, right, it needs silence to exist. And so what happens if we just come forward with it? You know, and what we find again and again and again and again when I sit with women is we all have very similar stories. You know, maybe the characters are a bit different or the plot's a little bit different. But the essence of the feeling behind it is universal because we're all human beings that have universal emotions. And so when that moment gets released of, wow, I wasn't wrong to feel that way. I wasn't wrong to have done that. It wasn't wrong that that happened to me. You know, then there's this beautiful quality of almost innocence that appears of, wow, I'm just a human being doing my best in this world to experience life and have life experience itself through me. And then that is such a liberating feeling in those moments of letting go of all that energy that has been taking to hide somewhere. You know, it's like, um, you know, the, like a big stone in the river just got lifted. And then now the water of life, the power of life force can fully flow through that Shakti, you know, fully mm -hmm. flowing through yourself. So for you to come to this place where you can help others, you must have had your own shame your own story that you had to work through before you could help others because I, I think you really had to have somewhere something to identify with mm, so many <laughs> still a work in progress do, um, do you feel open enough to share one yeah sure um yeah i um i, I think the most the one of the most impactful ones for me um, was that I was in a marriage um, a number of years ago, uh, a really beautiful man, you know, who I still treasure and adore in so many ways. And um, my attraction to him and the basis of our relationship was a very spiritual one. And so at that point, I was a full-time yoga teacher, you know, bright-eyed seeker on this path. And what his gift to me was that he'd been on this path for a while. And so we learned so much together and we would have these deep philosophical conversations and um, talk about, you know, what freedom is from quite an austere um, yogic path, classical yogic path, you know, of, okay, we're going to meditate. And in that meditation, in the letting go of all desires, pleasures, et cetera, et cetera, we'll transcend this body and, and get to God essentially, or the divine. And um, that was a very worthwhile practice for me. And also during that time, for many reasons, which, um, you know, are too lengthy to go into, um, our sex life really 
started to disappear as well. And that was a big conflict inside my, you know, early 30 year old body (laughs) of feeling like, okay, but I'm with my beloved. I want to make love to him. I want to have this juiciness in me. I feel this life force. I feel, you know, my yumminess going through my body and he wasn't available for that. And so it was years of just feeling this fight, this conflict inside my very biological body saying, well, I want this juiciness of my life force, sex force to be expressed and not being able to have that. And so at that point, the answer was either, you know, stay and accept it or leave it. Um, And I wasn't ready to leave it. And we also um, had, you know, I had brought up this possibility of, well, maybe open relationships. It's just one need that I need, I want to get met, but doesn't need to get met in this relationship. And that wasn't an opening for that. And so, yeah, I stayed in that for years and years and really struggled with feeling like I'm the spiritual human being, you know, on this yoga path, yoga teacher, trainer, all these things. And yet um, I, I, I tried to say, okay, this is my time just to be celibate. I can explore that. But the thing was, and, and wonderful to celibacy, it just wasn't a conscious choice at that time. It was one that felt forced. And so, yeah, by the end of that relationship, I just remember feeling so small and um, so ashamed that I have this desire because desire was a big, you know, no word. We don't have desires. We're supposed to get rid of all those things. Yeah. And pleasure is a distraction. Get rid of those things. And so I remember feeling so ashamed and I would tuck, you know, everything away. I would hide in the bathroom, you know, if I wanted to sell pleasure or anything, it was just like the, you know, terriblest thing. I couldn't let anybody know. And um, yeah. And so ashamed that my partner wouldn't want me Um, in this way, you know, all these stories started to come up for me about my not enoughness. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not sexy enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not smart enough. All of this stuff started to come up. And, um, yeah, I remember at the end of that relationship saying to my best friend, I'm afraid to leave because I don't think anyone will ever want to have sex with me again. Like ever in my whole life. Hmm. Wow. That's a hard one. Yeah. And she just looked at me and, you know kind of had a little chuckle and she, she's very good at just holding presence in space and not, you know, giving me my process, but she said, Alice, you know, come on. And so, um, so anyways, you know, fast track a little bit there and, and coming out of that, I realized, wow, you know, how much shame I had had around my own body, my pleasure. And then that's when the tantric path really came in for me. I had studied tantra before white tantric philosophy, which is still a big part of what I do and what I offer. I have an online course for that too now, which I'm super passionate about, but the more the neo-tantric practices start to come in for me, you know, around this body being this vessel of pleasure and that there is innate pleasure in presence. You know, when you're really present with your breath, it's so pleasurable to be feeling your breath through your body. And um, and then in connection and relationship with other, that there are ways, um, there is a possibility to be able to connect through that place of divinity, you know, seeing each other as divine, as feeling our own innate um, connection to source in these precious moments with yourself or a beloved. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was a really big place of shame for me. 
that I feel quite free of these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It still creeps back in here and there, you know, in different situations, but mm -hmm. yeah. So what wakes it up? What wakes up the shame? Um, well, I don't feel like I have so much shame anymore. Um, most of the time I'm able to see, you know, see it with a compassionate curiosity, mm. you know, around like, oh, I noticed that there's this part of me that wants to hide. Actually, that's not true. I had one situation that's up right now for me around the shame, around a feeling, um, you know, I may, I'm, I, I guess I'm hesitating because I didn't connect it with shame, but it is a place where I'm hiding, you know, or a place where I feel like I should be different, um, which is around, um, uh, well, this is another interesting topic is around, you know, working in the field of, of spirituality, wellness, personal growth, um, and women's work and sisterhood. And then also, uh, the business part that comes with that as well you know, and, and what feels aligned and resonant for me as things are growing, um, to, to share with others and in how, and in what ways. So there's this kind of big question up right now as, you know, Untamed Well Women Gatherings, everything is growing as to, uh, I kind of have like in my conversation with some women yesterday, this idea that, you know, it's not sisterly, it's not very sisterhoody to want to facilitate something by myself or have it be mine, mm. you know, it seems much more like the sisterhood to be spreading everything out when sometimes that's just not what's true for me. And I have a bit of guilt. It's and guilt is self-implied. So, or self-applied. So there's something around there for me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess where, what brings your question was what brings out the shame cultural belief systems, I guess, you know, somebody along the way somewhere told me that I should be this way. And then I start to adopt it as my own belief system. Yeah. 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 So what are you doing to, I, I mean, this is probably a, a really basic question for you. What are you doing to expand your awareness and your beingness these days? Hmm. <sighs> Yeah, thank you for that question, because it's a reminder for me, too. Um, my most treasured and impactful meditation practice right now is to sit in the dark with my eyes open. Um, this is an old tantric practice you know, that was given to me by one of my mentors, Kamala Lira. And, um, yeah, I, there's something about sitting in the dark with our eyes open, which starts to train ourselves to not grasp at anything. So it's, uh, it's quite common for people to meditate with their eyes closed, of course, which is just a different practice of going inwards mm -hmm. when you keep your eyes open, but there's, it's completely dark and there's nothing that your senses can grasp onto. Mm -hmm. No light, no sound, no sensation, no nothing. It starts to kind of retrain the mind to be okay in the mystery. You so, know, okay in the not knowing 
and this quiet stillness, but also this utter fullness. At the same time, you know, it's like that, that paradox of the nothingness and the everything is there. And in that state, I, my nervous system usually, sometimes it has a little freak out because I'm in the dark and, you know, all the, all the dark shadowy pieces, of course, can also come up mm-hmm. and surface. Um, and then there's nothing to distract from. Um, and then there's also this quieting of my whole entire nervous system, you know, of like, oh, what a relief. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to hold on to. Mm -hmm. So then there's this deep surrender that comes. A total let go of just here I am. And, And that simple practice has been very profound for me in, in the last two years. So does it increase your presence? I feel so. Yeah. And it supports in tuning, being able to tune into what's happening inside me and what's outside me. You know, and then of course there's sometimes this blurring of the lines where there's no inside, no outside, you know, because then the lines just start to disappear. So there is this expansion of awareness, consciousness, and presence. Yeah. And how do you share share what you're what you're uh, attaining in that space? How do you share that? Would move that into the world? Well, I feel like more and more I'm okay with not knowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm human, so of course there's still, <laughs> I still have moments where I want to know or control or, you know, direct or something, which is, are all also totally fine. But um, yeah, there's this okayness with um, mystery and also um, sitting with other people's darkness. You know, there's, uh, I feel like my, from sitting in my own dark, um, yeah, my capacity for, for being with people in their dark has grown. I mean, I also, um, as you know, my, my most beloved grandmother mm-hmm. passed um, just a little over three months ago, and that, sitting with her in the last months of her life um has been deeply i don't even know what to say it's it's changed me you know in ways that i i can't even put to words i've reached into you know some of the darkest spaces inside me after she passed still there you know moments of really really wondering what's the point You know, I used to kind of wonder that from a more philosophical place. And now it's like, no, really, what's the point? (laughs) Can somebody please tell me? Because I kind of feel done, you know, with this life sometimes. Like, I'm happy to go back to source. Why did she get to go? And I didn't go with Mm. her. You know, so I have moments like that. And and that just feeds, you know, the seeker, the the, the, the longing in me to be connected to source. 
And so, yeah, when people are in their darkness, like I feel like I can sit with them in that. Yeah, you, you feel like you can sit and really hold them and be present with uh, whatever it is coming out. Whatever, right. Whatever it is that needs to transition. Yeah, and just like hold that, you know, a point of presence and love for my own and other people's journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had much the same experience as you did, um, but it was with my uncle sitting with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sitting with him and, you know, in the up until the very last moment and even after, right, right through the whole process. And it was something I'll never forget. And it was something I treasure. And I feel probably was one of the, maybe the biggest gifts I've ever received was to be able to hold that space and not, not re- I, I can't really say hold it, but I was so present with him and he was so present with me that we were both in our deepest vulnerabilities and, and completely raw with each other and open and honest. And it was just beautiful to be able to flow with that through his last moments. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that time is so precious, isn't it? It's like, um, I've never been so present. And um, I don't know if it was like this with you when you talked about the vulnerability with your uncle, but I, um, sitting with my grandma, I just, it's like I noticed how I become, I became very aware of how I, in other relationships, and namely, you know, romantic relationships, friendships sometimes where if I sense that the ending is close breakups about to happen, we're going to split that then my heart starts to protect itself, you know, and it kind of, you know, quote unquote prepares itself, whatever that means. Can't really prepare yourself, but anyways, the illusion of it um, to let go. And so you start to close off. And with my grandma, it was like, okay, she's going. Like, it's very clear. I know that we're all going to die all the time, you know, that whole thing. But, like, really, she's leaving any moment now. And all my heart wanted to do was open more. Mm -hmm. It was like, how much more can I open fully into this moment with her? How much more love can I give? How much more love can I receive? How much more love can we bask in? And... I never had that experience before. Mm-hmm. It's so unconditional, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I really, I hope everybody gets the opportunity to experience it. Mm-hmm. Sitting with somebody as they pass? Yeah. Yeah. In, in that presence, I mean, in that I mean, it's an ultimate presence. Like like you, I don't know if I've ever been that present with anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, now I have. I think that allow, it gave me a gift, and, and now I can sit with anybody in that presence. Um, yeah, letting, you know, letting, you know, what I think what prevents me from sitting in that space sometimes is shame, you know, is all the, you know, the shadowy parts of myself that, you know, I fear to show show up with. 
And I think that gifted me a moment to be able to show up, mm-hmm. you know, show up in whatever I am. Mm-hmm. Well, he he had the courage to show up in with who in whoever he was too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if not, then when, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something kind of imminent about it, isn't there? It's yeah. like okay, it's now or never, you know, that we show up fully. Otherwise, don't wait till your next lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> And it's really sad to think that so many people wait till they are on their last few hours to do that. Yeah. You know, because on the other side of it is so much freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much. Yeah. I have this moment, these moments as well with my grandmother um, that were so precious, which was to be with her body. You know, her physical body. I was uh, very integrated into her care team. And um, before she went to the hospice, my mom and I were here, you know, doing all the, all her personal care, all the things that she used to do for me when I was a young child, you know, mm-hmm. bathing her, changing her, all of that. And, um, and then when she went into the hospice, uh, we had a wonderful care team, thank goodness, that was supporting all that. Um, and I was still there for her baths. Well, I was there for a lot and I was there for her baths. And, uh, you know, in, in Tantra, we teach about um, honoring each other's bodies as a temple, you know, and worshiping the other as God or the goddess or the divine. And that was the most tantric experience I'd had in that way, you know, where I got to bathe my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And pour water, you know, over her breasts and over her yoni and over her belly and her thighs and like all, you know, and just, I mean, I would do it. I would just sob. Like Mm -hmm. I was um, so moving to be with my grandmother's body and know that her flesh and her bones is what my body is made up of. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so sacred. Most sacred devotional practice. Yeah. And waking up that that divinity and being so aware of the profound divine presence within both of you mm. while you're doing that. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And she was just so peaceful in the water. You know, she loved it being in the bath. She'd never taken baths before. Oh. Her wow. whole life. 86 wow. years. I asked her, have you ever done this? She's like, nope. We're taking a bath. Maybe when she was a babe or something. But anyways, it's not a thing for her. So she just was like, oh, loving it. You know, and the weightlessness of the water was really wonderful for her. Because yeah. it was, you know, she was in bed all day for months. For months. So, um, yeah, really gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> just to hear her breathe, you know, in the water. So what do you think, what's your belief around Tantra and how, I just want to go into maybe a bit about how Tantra in some areas has such, um, it's cast with maybe um, a dark shadow. And, um, from my experience, Tantra is completely the opposite. It's uh, something that helps us awaken to to the divine. But um, 
can you talk about that the dark shadow aspect around Tantra and how um, people maybe have a delusion and how we can move beyond that to see Tantra in its true light? Mm. Sure. Um, well, I mean, Tantra it began, you know, as a as a practice, as a philosophy, um, somewhere around like fifteen hundred years ago or so, fifteen hundred two thousand years ago, and it emerged as a philosophy um, out of the traditions that were more classical, that disregarded the body as um, as something worth studying, you know. It was like we just had this kind of body suit of flesh and bones, and it was like this big distraction on our path, and we just needed to transcend the body. And so Tantra emerged from that because um, it was it, it came from householders. So at that time in in, in on the Indian subcontinent, um, the classical yogis were it was more austere. It was for the priests, it was for the um, the people that left their homes in order to pursue spirituality or religion. And there were many people, you know, like you and I and most of us who live in the West that are householders, the people who have jobs and families and relationships and didn't necessarily want to leave all this in order to reach God. And so the, the philosophy emerged from that place of, wait a minute, like, how come we're left out? You know, <laughs> like, I, I, I feel like I experienced moments of divinity within my own body and being of this world. And so that's where the practices emerge from. And I feel like it's really relevant, you know, for us Westerners, especially because we, we live in this life that has um, a lot of material in it and also this deep longing for meaning that many of us didn't grow up with here. And so, you know, Tantra in its light can can shed a lot of beautiful insights and connections and threads in this area of, of being in a human body and being a divine soul, you know, at the same time. But where it gets a little, you know, what you said, dark or a little muddy, I think, um, is that like anything, any trait, quality, um, subject matter experience, it can have its light shot side and its shadow side. You know, so in the light, that's when things are, you know, bright, expansion, expansive, going well. We're learning. We're, we're learning to be more of loving beings, all of that. In the shadow is that those same inquiries, you know, around the body, around spirit can be um, a bit twisted and, and put into the dark. And what I mean by that, well, maybe I should say more put into the shadows, uh, darkness is a, a very wonderful thing to sit in. We all have darkness. But the shadows is, are, are the places where we hide, mm -hmm. right? And going back to our original, you know, thought thread around shame and hiding. And when we think that we have to hide something that actually we really love or is bringing great pleasure to us, it starts to get very twisted because we feel like we can't talk about it or it can't be out into the open. So one of the places where, you know, in the tantric world that I've seen gets very twisted is around power. Mm. You know, in, in many places, um, ashrams, et cetera, lineages, yogic lineages as well, you know, the guru, you know, the teacher is then 
um, uh, you know, somebody, there's often a sexual abuse case or, you know, something like that, or many cases that come out. And so it's curious, you know, like, why is that being pushed into the shadows if that is a very uh, natural part of being a human being? So anyways, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Yeah, I'm just saying that anything that's kind of culturally shamed gets put into the shadows. And Tantra works with sexual energy. That's not all of what Tantra is about. There's way more than that. However, there are pieces where we work with sexual life force because mm -hmm. we know that we're human beings that have this, this life force and it's powerful. We see how powerful it is in the ways that it consciously or very often subconsciously directs our lives, mm -hmm. you know, and what we do. And then we can start to want something and then we can use our manipulation strategies in order to try and get it, which might also be another shadowy thing when we're not owning our desires and our actions and then they're starting to you know be hiding hiding and secretive so yeah i feel like the um you know this kind of more darker side of tantra comes because uh we haven't developed the skillfulness the bravery the courage you know to really be with what's true and speak it and share it you know, and live it, and then it, it gets hidden. So there's some places, you know, like some some schools, for example, that um, know that there is sexual energy running between people, you know, including their teachers, assistants, and people who are coming to study. And so instead of saying, no, you can't do that, it gets brought to the community, you know, or the forum or the groups of teachers that say, hey, there's this attraction happening, you know, and for the community to come together and offer insights into, you know, maybe some blind spots that teacher student might not be seeing and how do we care for each other um, without being in the shadows of mm. it. Do you think sometimes just being able to speak a desire dissolves the desire in itself? I think it dissolves the attachment to the desire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Desire is a beautiful thing. I mean, anybody that's experienced a desire, you know, even if you or I or anybody listening right now close their eyes for a moment and felt into your body and what do you desire? You know, like that just the word desire itself is so juicy, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with desire. We have we have a desire to grow, a desire to learn, a desire to be a kind human being. You know, these are very good desires to have. It's what propels us in life. Um, but it's the it's the sticky attachment to the desire, I think, where it gets really um, difficult sometimes. Right. And we probably all experience that as well, right? We have a desire that I really want it. And if I don't get it, then I'm really upset. And then I'm going to, you know, maybe try and get it in other ways. And then that's that shadowy bit. Yeah, I think there's desires that uh, pop up that come about because of our shadows. And they they arise in a way to uh, enforce or um, uphold a limiting belief or a, or a limiting shadow. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, you know, a few different types of desires. I think there's a divine desire. 
which would include uh, something that would bring us closer to enlightenment or help us transcend something shadowy. Mm. Yeah, and that said, you know, we can also, I, I think, have desires that are a bit more in the dark, you know, kind of in those dark, darker realms of like, um, I don't know, like, you know, when we were talking about sex before, for example, or sexual energy, like nothing wrong with wanting to have just like really primal animal sex, you know, like nothing wrong with that too. The body can desire that very carnal desires as well. And to also know that that's part, that can be a part of the human experience. It's not all just about, you know, reaching enlightenment all the time. Then we're going back to the classical way of thinking. It's like, tuning into your body the energy that's alive and allowing for that to also move mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what about if somebody wants to say like have sex in public what if that's a big desire well i think <laughs> it's a little bit um strange to be honest that our culture uh doesn't allow lovemaking in public mm -hmm. <laughs> I kind of, I feel like, you know, as one of my mentors also said, you know, I mean, watching two people make love is like the most beautiful thing on this planet. So gorgeous, you know, so why would we not want to see that when we, when we allow so many other expressions of human beings yelling, screaming, conflict, you know, killing each other like that's seen well, either in public or on, on media, mm -hmm. you know, why wouldn't two people making love with their human bodies be able to? I think it's kind of twisted, but we can't actually. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> so, you know, maybe more people need to start uh, opening to that desire and making it more normal. <laughs> we can start a revolution. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and some of the neo-tantric spaces, and not, not just in tantra, of course, in sex-positive spaces, do um, have opportunities like this, you know, to be able to be in public spaces and, and witness and, and be in and learn. And kind of a, another crazy thing about sex is that we don't generally, you know, we don't learn it from anybody in a, in a healthy way. We might learn a little bit about it in school, Often when it's too late, you know, parents are usually quite awkward with it. Um, I know I didn't get any sex education um, from my family. So where do we learn this? You know, where do we learn um, the skillfulness of being and relating with somebody else? Where do we learn about another human body? It's from our lovers, of course, you know, but there's so much wisdom to be distilled from ourselves. We all almost everybody, almost every human being has sex, you know, at some point in their life or now. So it's, yeah, it's kind of this funny thing. It's like we all eat and we talk about how much we eat and what we like and what we don't and how to cook and how to bake this. And you know, why don't we do this about sex and lovemaking? I don't have no idea. People get <laughs> Well, some of us do, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some of us do. I, I yeah, I, th I think it goes back to the church and the separation of body and spirit mm. and trying to shame the body so that we become attached to some sort of a spiritual outcome that maybe the church, some indoctrination, I don't know. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
I don't really tie into that kind of thought pattern. I try and just follow with my own bliss and my own desires mm. and see where they take me. Mm-hmm. So what are you desiring today? What I desire today is um, is some... I, I would love to be in a little cabin in the woods by myself today mm. and be able to go for walks and sit by the river. I'm really desiring to be in nature. Yeah. Yeah, I've... Um, January is often a very busy time for me. Um, all the programs are activated in, in different parts of the world now, which is exciting. Um, and it's wonderful. And it just means a lot of extra time, you know, inside on the computer. So I'm, my body has a craving to be, to slow down right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To breathe good air and by water. Are you going to, uh, are you going to say yes? Today is pretty full. Um, but tomorrow I'll get to go. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I think the last thing I was curious about, um, when we talk about divinity, there's a masculine divine and a feminine divine. And then I believe there's like an immature feminine and masculine. How do we flow on this path of awareness and enlightenment? Um trying to become aware of what what each of these pieces mean to us and i guess can we like can i flow in my divine masculine and still drop down into my juvenile occasionally mm. is this something i need to be aware of or is it uh or should i just be in my divine masculine all the time mm. Or is my question even making sense? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's making sense. Um, yeah, and some of the languaging, you know, around places that we, you and I hang out with, there's the, yeah, there's the divine or the light, you know, mature masculine feminine, and then the immature masculine feminine. And we all have all, all four of those inside our own selves, whether mm-hmm. you're in a male body or a female body, of course. And um, for me, we're so like, we're a divine being and we're a human being, you know, and, and again, I'm kind of separating these out, but there really is no difference. But I, in my work, I, um, I actually work more with the human being (laughs) that we are, Mm. you know, and, and then it's like the divine being or the divine energy is the one that has the capacity to see and witness our humanness. Mm. And so I don't feel like, um, you know, when you said, oh, should you just be in your divine masculine or like what, you know, what happens in those moments where you're more in your immature masculine. And it's like, for me, I see it like you can be both all the time, you know, or you can be mostly, you know, striving to be in this more kind of light, expanded, masculine, mature, masculine, or feminine or whatever. But also there, of course, there's parts of us inside that are younger, you know, the parts inside our inner child, you know, our inner teenager inside our inner rebel, our um, seductress, our, um, our 
you know, the one inside that is celibate and on their path. Like we're so complex. There's so much texture and color inside each of us. And so um, I feel like we can be both, you know, and maybe that's the practice for me is, is being in that place of uh, awareness, loving awareness, consciousness, able to see myself, you know, as best as I can. And then also making room for uh, those places where my, uh, where my, uh, like these character traits inside me haven't quite learned that piece yet or hasn't quite grown up. So to give a concrete, like to give an example, one of the things that my beloved and I have talked about, because we work with our own inner masculine and inner feminine, you know, and I'm starting to get to know my own inner masculine more, and he's starting to get to know his own inner feminine. And, um, you know, my inner masculine, his inner feminine are younger than, than the other. You know, because I've had 37 years on this planet uh, in my female body, mostly, you know, and I know my feminine quite well, you know, and so she's matured throughout the years and she still has her immaturity, of course, but like, you know, I'm, I'm 37, whereas he's just getting to know his inner feminine. And so she's much younger mm-hmm. than me in my feminine and vice versa. And so we kind of have this funny joke that sometimes doesn't feel so funny in the moment, but then maybe afterwards, where, you know, when our, when our kind of, when our growing, our, you know, quote unquote immature, but I I like to use the word, they're just growing up, you know, it's like my teenage boy inside me is just discovering that he can penetrate the world in these different ways. And he doesn't really know how to do it very well, you know, or whatever that is. So, um, so then within our relationship, there's also places of, of mentorship in that way, you know, for, for us to support each other, to grow in areas that individually we may have not had that experience yet. Okay. So now I have a question. So your, <laughs> your events are typically 100% women? No, no. I do a lot of women's work. So Mm -hmm. Untamed Wild Feminine is a a women's journey. Although, as you know, because you've been one of the men, um, there's one evening and an integration session where we invite men to come and be in your full presence to receive the feminine in her biggest emotional expression. Um, and we co-create that space, you know, for women to be really brave, to share the places where they've shamed, hidden, mm-hmm. you know, uh, repressed, and in particular in relationship to the masculine. Um, it's a very strong process. And the men are there not just to, you know, hold space for our healing, but to also really bear witness to, um, to, to the individual and collective women's stories and how the men yourselves may have played a role also in that, you know, um, and to start to see and maybe even take responsibility, you know, for the places that you have showed up in the world that have hurt, wounded, abandoned, et cetera. But it goes both ways, of course, because, um, you know, many times I've been a woman emoting, but I see myself as the man that somebody else is expressing towards because of course I have those masculine traits of abandoning, you know, all those things. So it's a very woven process. So that one has men. Um, I teach intro to Tantra as well. 
um, in Calgary, and that's a co-ed group. We have a really juicy, fun Valentine's Day edition coming up. Eile Aurora is going to come and play live harp, and we're going to have heart-opening cacao, and it'll be super yummy and delicious. Nice. A little bit of philosophy, a little bit of neo-tantric practices. That one's a blend of both, and, and quite gentle, but also fun and flirtatious and edgy. So, yeah. And then I am just launching uh, deep into philosophy, tantric philosophy, which is an online course, um, and it's four weeks. There are recorded live sessions, interactive Q and A at the end, Facebook group to to anchor the sessions in. So that one starts on Monday. Um, and yeah, there's, there's much more, uh, Amir is my beloved and we've got lots and lots and lots of ideas in our treasure chest for men and women. Um, we just need a little bit more time in our busy calendars <laughs> <laughs> to launch that. But yeah, no, I, I really love being with my sisters. That's where I, where I feel really at home, but I love doing co-ed. I, I love having the men there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the one I was at was quite enjoyable. And uh, but it's interesting. One 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 of the things you talked about was that we have we both carry the divine masculine and the divine feminine. And I too, when I was I was standing uh, as the divine masculine, I could feel. Well, I could also feel the the women um, in their pain and related to some of my pain I felt. You know mm -hmm. some of my feminine aspects, and how do how do we how do we transition from there? Like I mean, I'm talking about taking responsibility because ultimately we we have to take responsibility for pretty much I believe everything in our life. How do we move from from blame to responsibility? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. And that's a, another piece of the untamed well feminine process that we move through. It's taking self-responsibility for the ways that we show up and, and owning the ways that we feel. I think maybe that's the first step is just really owning how we feel, you know, like I'm upset. I'm jealous. You know, I don't feel good enough right now. And to give voice to what it is that we're feeling it doesn't mean that we are that, you know, entirely, but that's what I, that's how I feel, or I'm angry right now, you know, and to take ownership of that is actually quite empowering. So, um, uh, a friend mentor of mine, I just went to a workshop in Israel and one of the things that the facilitator talked about was being in charge, um, being in our charge, yeah, so so being in charge of our life, you know, to take self-responsibility, to take the reins on our life, doesn't mean that we're out there controlling everybody else. It means that I'm in my charge. I'm in the charge of my life force. And emotions are just that. It's emotions, you know, energy and motion. And so when I bring the charge back to me, anger is just a charge. We feel it in our body. We know that. And so instead of... Um, let's say unleashing it onto somebody else, you know, which would be the blame thing. Um, we can, you know, feel that charge inside us and express from the eye. I feel angry when this happens Then I own my charge and I'm not discharging my energy onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
you know, you can still be upset and you can still express what's moving through, but take responsibility for it. Then it's your energy. You know, we don't want to be leaking our life force out to everybody. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of one piece of it. And then, you know, when we can, when we can own our, our energy body or emotions in that way, then the capacity to see, okay, well, how am I actually contributing to this reality right now? Because it's almost always, well, it always is a co-creation, isn't it? And when you're in relationship, it takes two, mm-hmm. three, four, you know, whatever that relationship is. And so how am I contributing to the reality of this moment? And maybe it's that I, I I make myself small and I don't say anything, you know, and then, then I've made myself a victim because I believe that I can't say anything in front of my coworker, my boss. So then you've made, you've diminished your life force, mm-hmm. you know, so that could be then it turns into a whole victim thing or a passive aggressiveness or something like that. Instead of just being in your full charge, owning how your experience is. Mm-hmm. Mm. owning your desires owning your experiences owning your shadows yeah seeing that you're a human being (laughs) (laughs) and a divine being Hmm. yeah i mean you know all of this owning owning stuff it's um it's really uh meant to be done with so much love as well i think that's really important um with love and patience and that compassionate curiosity you know, and um, for me, the intention for it isn't to go, you know, digging up all our shit all the time, because that can also be quite exhausting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's more to bring what's unconscious to consciousness. Because what's unconscious is directing our lives all the time anyways. You know, and then we're unconscious of it. So then well, we don't know why this situation keeps repeating itself. You know, so when we bring light to what's been hidden, then, I mean, for me, that's an excitement. You know, it's a joy. It's like, yes, you know, that's a point of freedom mm-hmm. right there. And then you can start to become more conscious in the ways that you are behaving, reacting, responding. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like life becomes much more free. But we can make clearer, powerful choices for ourselves. And we're back to freedom. Yay. And we're back to freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think this has been an awesome conversation. And Mm -hmm. I really do enjoy your presence every time I converse with you or am around you in any shape or form. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting to, you have a very strong presence and... It's interesting to be sitting here 200 miles away that I can still feel your presence very strongly. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. Yeah, it's always a, a joy to speak with you and be in your presence as well. And um, I'm really grateful um, for this time and that you invited me to have this conversation as well. Really feel really honored, grateful. Um, And yeah, thank you for the great questions too. It's really offered me a a pause in the, in the minutia details of my day to just bring it back home into my heart and, and out into the big picture with this meaningful conversation. So Mm -hmm. thank you. You're welcome. 
I think I think the thing I'm left with here is that our power is in our heart. And then if we're not centered in that power, where are we? Like, what are mm -hmm. we creating? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's always great to come back to this space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to that, you know, the um, going back to those more classical teaching, teachings from Tantra is that um, there's the, you know, ascending energy of going from the body up to, to God. And then there's the descending energy of the divine, you know, transmitting down through our body and where they meet, you know, in the chakra system, where they meet is in the heart. Mm -hmm. And and that's the seat of the wisdom. And in one of the first uh, kind of verses in, in the Radiant Sutras, which I love is, um, you know, Shakti embodied being is asking Shiva, which is consciousness, you know, beloved, what is this world I see? You know, like, what is this play of light and, and shadows and colors and shimmers? Like, what is this world beyond my eyes, in front of my eyes right now? And he says, well, beloved, you know, your questions require a direct experience. You know, it requires direct experience by entering your heart and in every moment of your breath. And I just love that so much, you know, because it's it's an embodied inquiry, mm. this path. And it starts in the heart. Starts, ends, is in the heart. So, yeah. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. with that, we are out of time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roger. A pleasure. Mm -hmm. This podcast is Expansion Cast. Thank you for listening.